Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hey there, friends, and welcome to another edition of the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivy podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and listen, I feel like a broken record every time I'm like this episode, but let me tell you, this episode is so good. I sat down with Louis Giglio, you know, pastor of Passion City Church, which meets in Atlanta. He's the original visionary of the Passion Movement, which I love this, exists to call a generation to leverage their lives for the fame of Jesus. Yes, please sign me up for that. Louis and I have a great conversation about his brand new book, Don't Get the enemy a seat at your table. It's time to win the battle of your mind. I think this is an encouraging book for so many of us right now because our minds can literally be a battlefield and he's encouraging us to take over our thoughts. You're going to love this show. And if you do love it, which I already know that you will, I would love it if you shared it with a friend. Honestly, I'm constantly texting my friends podcasts that I'm listening to because I want everyone to hear the goodness that I get to hear. And so if you enjoy today's show, will you text it to a friend and let them know that you think they should listen? You guys, it's May 21st. My kids have officially, after today, four days left of school. We are so ready for summer. I'm so excited. Also, Monday is my mom and dad's anniversary. Happy anniversary, mom and dad. I am grateful for the commitment that you guys have had over all of these years. Y'all sit back, relax. Well, maybe you're not relaxing. You might be on a run. You might be doing dishes. You might be driving kids around. Whatever you're doing, you're going to enjoy this conversation that I have with Pastor Louis Giglio. Don't forget, guys, you're going to want to write things down. We have everything that you need over in our show notes. Go to jamieivy.com slash HH392 because today's happy hour episode 392. All right, friends, here's my conversation with my friend Louis Giglio. Hey, Louis, welcome to the happy hour. Hey, Jamie, I'm so pumped to be on. Thanks for having me. You know, this is fun because there are a handful of couples that we've had both the husband and the wife on, and now you're completing the Giglio couple because Shelly was here, <laughs> I can't believe it, in 2016, and now here we are five years later. Well, wow, 2016 so. seems like another generation ago. I can't even I mean, is, really is get Is that my not head true it. or what? I know, I know. It seems like forever ago, but I'm so grateful that you're here. I want to start with telling you something that I've told you privately and I told Shelly when she was on the show, but I want to say it publicly again. The craziest thing about my husband, Aaron, and I, and thinking about you and your wife, Shelly, is we say all the time two things. Number one, we say we want to be Shelly and Louie when we grow up. And so we're like, you guys are our, we just want to keep following Shelly and Louie and be you guys when we grow up. And the second thing I'm going to tell you is this, is there's no way that you could have known what was going to happen when you started Passion. And I was saved at Passion. My husband, Aaron, was saved at Passion. And I look now and I have a 17-year-old going into college and I think, man, he's going to be impacted by the ministry you started. How does that feel? A little overwhelming, massively humbling and grateful just uh, to be a part of something like that. You know, I think that, Jamie, the best thing about passion is we always say these things. We say, you know, I can't take credit for it. It was the Lord. It's really not about me. We always know that's the right answer every time. But passion 1000% was God's idea. I was in a zone of life where I was clueless. I was in a fog. My dad had just passed away. Everything was upside down in our lives. And God just 
drop the vision of passion in our laps. And yes, we had to pick it up and we didn't know what it was and we didn't know what it, to do with it exactly. And we had to take the first step. But every time we stand in one of these moments or I hear someone say, like you're saying right now, the impact passions made in their life, I just rejoice. I can very freely say, that's awesome. Passion is awesome because it's God's idea. It was God's idea from the very beginning. And I don't think any of us had a clue. If I were to say to you, oh yeah, I knew that would happen. I knew that all these things would happen. That would be the dumbest thing I could say because <laughs> I didn't know what step one was. Yeah, And I just knew that God was calling us. And so to hear people say that it's made an impact in their lives, I just say, thank you, Jesus. And I echo what you're saying today. I'm thinking about the impact it's made in my life and continues to make in my life. So, and you know, the weirdest thing about it is we're, I don't know what time it is, some, you know, middle of the year, and we don't even have like solidified plans for passion this year. They're not even like halfway. Because how can you? (laughs) And so that's the way it's been from the beginning. Mm. It's just been, Lord, we're going to put our sail up. We pray your wind will blow in it. You'll take us where you want us to go. And the rest has been history. I love it. And I was able to go the last passion before COVID, which I guess is that 2019 or 2020. I don't know how to call it because it happens on New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. Okay. (laughs) So 2020, Aaron and I went in Atlanta and it was the first time I had been back since I had been at the one where God completely interrupted and changed my life forever. And it was this moment, a full circle for me of going, God, the goodness in my life that you would see me as like a 21 year old out of control searching girl. And I say all the time, I don't know how I ended up at Passion that year. Like I was not following Jesus. I don't know how I got there. And God changed my life. And it changed the entire trajectory of my life, of my family, of everything. And so sitting in that arena in 2020 was a moment for me that I'll never forget because I felt, man, God, you're so kind to your people. You're so kind to us. Yeah. The crazy thing is we did uh, four years of Passion. So Austin was first year, 2,000 students. Austin, the second year, 5,000. And this is pre-internet, pre-cell phones. This is back in the day when you have to mail in a check if you're going to go to an event. I think Aaron was at one of those first ones yeah. as a college so, kid, which is crazy. You know, it's 2,000 and 5,000. That was all word of mouth, really. The next year in Fort Worth, it was 11,000. And then that fourth year was one day. That's what we were aiming at the whole time. 40,000 college students showed up on a field in Memphis, Tennessee. And the most interesting thing, Jamie, is, is that was the vision that we saw initially. And so mm-hmm. when One Day 2000 happened, I thought, well, we did what the Lord called we us to it. do. And the next year, we didn't do anything in 2001 or going into 2001. We just took a year off and said, okay, I think we did it. And praise God, he kind of, you know, allowed us to have the revelation to know that, no, there's more students behind these, and you're going to be there on the corner for every generation of them, knowing that a Jamie Ivey was coming down the road mm-hmm. at some point. And so I just praise God. And I think that everyone listening today, you know, the message isn't, hey, what did they do at Passion? The message is, what is God asking you to do today? Because your step today is going to have that same domino effect into the lives of other people, not today, tomorrow only, but in the decade to come and in the generations to come. I love that so much. And you just released a new book called Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table. Uh, It's time to win the battle of your mind. It came out in early May 
today's May 21st when this is airing. And one thing I know after talking to hundreds of authors here is that books are born out of the author's personal experience and what they've walked through. So can you tell me what this looked like for you, this journey of don't give the enemy a seat at your table? I know you go through Psalm 23, which we can talk about, but how did that work its way out in you before you could pen it down onto paper? I love the word you just used, by the way. You said they're born out of. And that's the way I see every book. It's not like a manufacturing process or an assembly line. Here comes another book. It is every time a birth. And there's a conception. There's this gestation period. And then finally, there's a birth. And the birth for this book really has been in some messages that I've given. But to see it actually come out in book form, somebody said, man, you're posting a lot about your book lately. And I said, well... And I know this is not an equal comparison, so please don't send all your you know emails to Andy Stanley at North Point Community Church. <laughs> but um, <laughs> you know, when someone has a baby, like some good friends of ours just had a baby yesterday, I expect to see that baby on Instagram like full time. Right. And when you have a book that like comes out of your veins mm. and not just out of a process, that's why you're going to see it in my feed for a while. And the title of this book. Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table changed my life. And the moment it changed my life, I've been through a few months of a hard season and some things have been said and some things have been done that I didn't think were right. And I was waiting for the moment because we're always waiting for that moment that I know there'll be a moment when I'll be vindicated. And that moment happened. I was driving home in my car. I got a message on my phone. I was like, no way. It happened today. And I couldn't get home fast enough to get out of my car and text a friend and say, you're not going to believe what happened today. So-and-so and and -and so-and-so said so-and-so and and -and so-and-so. And it's validating all the things that we knew were true all along. Blah, blah, blah. Woe is me. I need someone to commiserate with me. And I composed this super long text, which for someone in my demographic takes a minute. I hit send. (laughs) I'm staring at the phone, standing at the top of my driveway, waiting for something big and bold and reassuring and congratulatory. And finally, Jamie, the message comes back and it's like this long. Mm. And I'm like, surely they hit send too soon and they're going to (laughs) say, sorry, hit send. Here comes the rest. But there was nothing else coming. And so I focused in on those nine words and the nine words said, don't give the enemy a seat at your table. And this friend loved me enough to know that I didn't need commiseration. I needed truth. I needed something to cut through the fog. And I realized, I mean, instantaneously, I just was like, I have allowed my adversary to pull up to my table, the table that my shepherd has set before me. Mm. And I've been entertaining a conversation with him for four months now about this stuff. Mm. All these fears and all of this worry and all these controlling conversations I've been having in my mind with every single person involved, all the late night hours staring at the ceiling, I've let him have a seat at my table. And I'm deciding right now, standing in my driveway by the authority I have in Jesus, I'm taking my table back. Mm -hmm. And that started a journey for me and it changed my life that night. And there has been a week go by in the year since that this statement doesn't come back into my story. And it's real for me. Someone asked me, who'd you write this book for? And I said, for me. (laughs) Me. (laughs) And so it's a message that, you know, I really genuinely believe in because Shelly and I have had 
our lives changed by it. And I believe that as I've gone and shared the message around the world, and it's been a talk that I've given very visual with a table and two chairs and a bunch of food on the table, and I've done it on every continent in the last few years. And every time that message comes out, it's another one of those moments kind of like passion where I'm like, I know it's not my title. I didn't come up with the title. The title belongs to a friend of mine. And this message is, I believe, a message from God for all of us. And I've watched the way it's landed on people, and I've seen the power that it has. Wow, I hear you tell that, and I read it in your opening of your book. And I think two things. A, I want to be that friend. And B, I want that friend in my life, maybe more than I can even imagine. You know, like I want someone who will send back that nine-word text when I really just want them to be like, yeah, you're awesome. I agree with you. They're <laughs> terrible. And you win, Jamie. I want someone to say what your friend said to you because it's changing. Now you spent a lot of your time and this was inspired by Psalm 23, specifically verse five. And I'll read it for you. It's not that I need to read it for you, Pastor Louis, but I'll read it for the people who are listening. That's the funniest thing I've ever said. I'm going to tell Louis Giglio what uh, Psalm 23, five says. So here we go. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. You go a lot through this. And why did you spend so much time there? I see the table reference, but where did that come from for you? Well, I've been like you listening to Psalm 23 my whole life. It's uh, maybe the most well-known text in all of scripture. And I somehow missed the power of verse five. And the thing about verse five to me is that if I wrote Psalm 23, I would have written it completely different. I would have written, you prepare a table before me in your presence. Forget about the enemies. I just want to be in your presence, God. And so all of a sudden, now that I know I'm in this fight, I've got this enemy at my table. I've been entertaining this conversation with my adversary, who's a killer. And now I'm kind of awake and realizing I've got to take my table back. Psalm 23 hit me in a whole new way. And I thought, wait a minute, the table God is preparing for us today isn't like a corner table in his presence, where maybe we have a window view of all of our enemies getting slaughtered out there and we can just enjoy the meal going, oh, look at them. They're all getting wiped out. (laughs) He says, no, I'm going to put the table in the presence of your enemies. In other words, you and I, the shepherd and me, We're going to have a fellowship meal together called life in the middle of the cancer, in the middle of the circumstance, in the middle of the depression, the anxiety, the relationship that's falling apart, the pandemic, the economic meltdown. I'm going to put the table in the middle of the people you think are stabbing you in the back right now, in the middle of the people that are saying things about you that aren't true. I'm going to put the table right in the middle of it all. And when I saw that, it flipped the message of Psalm 23 completely upside down. And it's a little bit of a reveal for where the book lands. But Psalm 23 had always been about me. I'm the sheep and I'm going to get led and cared for and loved. And I'm going to be on the shoulder of Jesus. And he's going to lead me with his staff and his rod. But now I see Psalm 23 is about the shepherd. It's not about me. It's a promise to me. It's a life-changing offer for me. But the glory glory of Psalm 23 is the shepherd who is offering to do all of this for us. And I believe he puts the table in the middle of the enemies so that our enemies get a front row seat at watching us discover that Jesus is enough for us, no matter what the situation, no matter what the circumstance. And nothing gives God glory more than your enemies watching you be satisfied in him in the middle of the battle.
You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music, just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. Okay, so I'm going to go with your little analogy here, and I love it because I now I'm sitting at a table, you're sitting at a table, and I'm having this visual, all of these enemies around me, and that feels kind of scary, Louie. It feels kind of like I don't know that I can keep them from getting a seat at my table because they feel overwhelming. So when you think about it like that, which is I'm not going to forget that after your book and stuff, but when you think about that, what are the ways that we as followers of Jesus, how do we have the power to keep them from pulling up a seat? Well, the only person we're concerned about pulling up a seat is the capital E enemy. So when I say the enemy's lowercase e, I'm talking about people who have ill intent toward us or a circumstance or situation that we don't have control over or something's going down at work or a relationship. And those things are real and they are in our lives and we have to deal with them. I'm talking about the table of our mind and the enemy planting a seed. So here's how that would work. And I love your analogy. You know, they're all around and it's a little bit scary. Well, when Elisha's servant woke up that morning He was more than a little bit scared. He was completely freaked out. And he goes and wakes up the prophet and he says, this is not going to be a good day for us. Look, you got to come see this. They go up on the rooftop and they can see on the hills all around them. The Aramean army has come in the night to kill the prophet Elisha and they've surrounded the whole city. And his servant is losing his mind. He's like, what are we going to do? We can't get out of here. And that's exactly what the enemy wants to do. So you and I look around, and it is a little scary when there are enemies around our table. But the problem comes not because there are enemies around the table. I'm getting a little excited now. The problem comes when the enemy pulls the seat up and says, man, you are surrounded. And the there big is e, no the big way e out. Enemy. The big E enemy. Yeah. He pulls up and says, man, check it out. You are wow. surrounded. 
and you are not going to make it. There is no way you're going to get through this. How are you going to handle all these enemies? And before you know it, you're like, I don't know how I'm going to handle all these enemies. I feel like I'm going to just freak out right now. And we need that moment where Elisha had the confidence in God to say to the servant, I need to pray for you. (laughs) Not for me. I don't need prayer. You would think Elisha would say, I need prayer because I'm surrounded. He said, no, you need prayer because all you can see are the little enemies. I want you to see something else. And he prayed. He said, Lord, open my servant's eyes and let him see. And all of a sudden he realizes, oh my word, there are chariots and a fire and there are horses and angels on the mountaintops. Mm. And everything that had surrounded Elisha was now surrounded by God. And so when I'm at the table with Jesus and I'm looking at his face, he says, yeah, there is a lot of stuff going on around here, but you keep your eye on me Mm. because I want you to know whatever's got you surrounded, I've got it surrounded. And I'm at the table with you, but I'm also around the table that we're at right now. And I'm going to lead you through. And so the enemy pulls up and says, you're not going to make it. And Jesus says, "Uh, excuse me, you don't get a seat at this table. And he says, Louie, I need you to know one thing today. You're going to make it. We are going to make it. That is so exciting because yes, 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 I believe all that. It reminds me just this morning, Louie, I was taking my daughter to the bus stop. I don't know why I drove her to the bus stop because it's right up from our house, but whatever. She asked me to. I said, yes, it's a small win, right? So I drive her to the bus stop and she is just in like a bad mood. And my daughter is normally very happy. And I was like, baby, what's wrong? And she goes, I had the reading star test today. And I just know I'm going to do real bad. And I was like, okay, so what if you do real bad? What changes about you? And she's like, well, I'll be real bad at reading, I guess. And I said, I know, but what changes about like your character and what I think about you and what God thinks about you? And she said, she goes, nothing, I guess. And I was like, so you go do the best you can on that star test. And then you come home and nothing changed. I still love you just the same, no matter what. And even in your example, I see her believing those little e enemies around her saying, you're real bad at reading. You're not going to do very well. And I want in her little 13 year heart, I want her to hear me as her mom say that, but also Jesus be like, girl, I got you. Like nothing changes, no matter what your grade is on that star test, nothing changes. And for my 13 year old, that's a big thing. But I always say the older I get, and I'm 43 now, I see and experience a more of Jesus, but also I'm very much more aware of my, like my tendencies and my sin struggles than even I was like, you know, 10 years ago or 15 years ago. And I think there's a grace in that, but it makes me think what you were just talking about, about our mind. You write in chapter six, it's called Freedom Revolution. And I love the example of the quicksand and you were talking about how we're fighting this, sometimes the same sins over and over and over again. And I found myself going, Jamie, get yourself together. Are we still struggling with the same thing? Like, have you not learned that you don't need to be jealous of this person? And so, you know, it makes me think of Philippians 4, 8 about thinking about what is true and what is honorable. So what do you say to the person who's like, I'm just like my daughter, I'm just real bad at reading, I'm going to fail, or this is just my struggle, or I can't stop doing this. What do you say to that? Well, the first thing I would say, because I've been there and I still live there, I would say the enemy at your table. Mm. That's the first thing I would say. That's how powerful this little phrase is for me. It's not mnemonics. It's not some slogan or some self-help mantra. It just cuts through the clutter. 
And when someone says, you know what, I'm a worrier and I know it, but you know, you should have met my mom. I mean, she was Mm -hmm. a big time worrier and oh my goodness, my grandmother, she was all time world-class, you know, worrier. So we're just a worrying family. We always have been, we always will be. My kids have already got anxiety. It's just part of our deal. We just deal with it. The answer to that isn't some long, you know, let me give you a book on neuroscience and you need to learn how your brain works. The answer to that is, The enemy is at your table. Wow. Because Jesus, I promise you, because I know his word and you know his word, is not going to say to someone, oh, welcome to the table I prepared for you. I'm the king of the universe. I am the savior of the world. And there's one thing I need you to know today. You're just going to be a worrier. Mm. That's just the way your family is. So I don't want you to stress over it. Just, you know, have another cup of tea and blame it on grandma. And you just worry, you just go on, girl, and you just go on worrying today. Can you imagine Jesus Mm, saying that? No, no, not at all. Because A, he's sitting there on a throne of thrones, but yet he invites us to his table. So what is there to worry about? And B, he's changed our character and our nature completely when we were born again and given us the Holy Spirit power to take his word at face value. So, man, I'm so blown away by what you said to your daughter today. I'm going to remember that for a long time because what great parenting, A, and what a great picture and a mirror of what this book is all about on a 13-year-old level. And in the same way, Jesus this morning wasn't saying to your daughter, hey, you know, I love you and you're awesome. But there's one thing I need you to know. You're just always going to be a bad reader. Mm -hmm. So let's just go in there today thinking the worst. Let's just walk in and go ahead and think it's not going to work out very good. No, Jesus was going to say to your 13-year-old daughter, hey, you're doing better at reading right now than you were last year. That's right. And you know what? You're going to be doing better at reading next year than you are this year. So let's just chalk up today as one day. And let's go read today like nobody's business. And if we don't do great today, we'll do better tomorrow. And we'll keep working on it. Because you know what? You're smart and you come from amazing parents who are smart and they're going to coach you, help you, cheer you on, and you're going to overcome this. And there's going to be a day you're going to go, you know what? I'm turning into a very good reader. Mm -hmm. So let's go do it today and know that I got you no matter what. That's the kind of conversation. And it sounds like pep talks from Jesus, but it's not. It's the reality and the truth of what it looks like to live as children of God. And the enemy has got us thinking we're orphans. And he's got us forgetting that we're children of a king and we have all kind of power and we have his love. I love when Jesus started his ministry. His father said, this is my son. I love him and I'm pleased with him. He had not walked on water. He had not Mm. healed the sick, raised the dead, hadn't preached the Beatitudes, had not gone to the cross, been risen from the dead. He hadn't done anything except be faithful to come from heaven to earth, which is a lot, and hadn't done any miracles that we're aware of at that point. But yet he already had the blessing of his father. So he's moving out of acceptance, Mm. not for acceptance. And I think that's what every one of us I know me at my age. And I think everybody else needs to get a hold of every single day. It's so good. And that pep talk from Jesus. I mean, I feel like when I think about, you know, one of the ways that we can fight this and you can fill in the blank if you have other ways, but it's just through God's word. I mean, and we can call it a pep talk if you want to call it a pep talk. I don't know, but to think on what is true and noble and right, like pep talk all day long, but that's what I want to think on. One thing I want to talk to you about too, is a lot of people feel defined by their scars. They feel defined by things they've done, things they've said, mistakes they've made. How do we get ourselves 
ourselves to not allow the enemy to keep reminding us of those things and then feel defined by them. I mean, I've come so far, but that was the biggest thing in my early walk of walking with Jesus, of just being like, I guess I'll always be that Jamie. And God's done a miracle in my life in that. But what do you say to people who are consistently defined by their mistakes? I'm going to steal something from my friend, Levi, who I was talking to this week. And he said that his counselor, who'd been kind of helping him work through some anxiety, said it's like the enemy jabs. The jab's just a little distracting thing, kind of like getting your attention before the big punch comes. And he said the enemy kind of jabs with all these little things. But he said the big punch is the cross. That's the knockout blow. And not the right cross or the left cross, the cross. And when he said it, it just resonated so deeply with me because I think the answer to what you're asking me is to ask people, how deeply rooted are you in the reality of the cross of Jesus Christ? Is it a little thing that you wear around your neck or something that's on the steeple at the church you drive by? Is it symbolism or is it story, your story? And if it's your story, then this is your story. I'm going to tell you your story in a real short little nighttime story. Your story is that God loved you so much that he actually was wounded and died for you. And when he was raised from the dead by the power of Almighty God, he still had scars, so much so that he could say to his followers, if you really want to need evidence, come stick your finger in the holes and in my side. He's risen, he's victorious, and his wounds are now scars. Our wounds that he took for us are now scars. That's my story. And so here's the thing. I don't think we should ignore our wounds. That's a bad idea and a bad strategy. I nearly cut my thumb off with a Swiss Army knife when I was a little kid because I was doing exactly what my dad told me not to do. I was carving on something this way. (laughs) And I still have a big giant scar going across my hand right here. My mom was an underreactor, so she said, let's put a Band-Aid on it. And then she put some gauze around it. And about 10 days later, my hand was as big as a volleyball and it was yellow and gooey and goopy and gross. And we had to deal with it. It had to get yeah. cleaned out, had to get addressed. You don't ignore your wounds. That's not what we're saying today. But your healing isn't found in staring in your wounds. Your healing is found in staring into Jesus's wounds for you. And what the enemy wants to do is he wants to define us by our scars. You see that? You see that failure? You see that mistake? You see what you did or what was done to you? That's you. And Jesus is saying, no, I want to define you by my scars. You see those nail prints right there? That's my love for you. You see this scar on my side? That's my love for you. You see these little pot marks in my head where they push the thorn of crowns in there? Those scars are me telling you, you are so valuable to me that I would go to any any length to be in a relationship with you. So the enemy, you know, when he says, hey, you got scars, I think you just need to be able to say, I know, I do. Yeah. And I had wounds, but thank God they're now scars. Thank God I'm being healed in a process of trusting God's word and having other people around me speak truth into my life. But if you want to talk wounds and scars, let's talk about Jesus' wounds and scars. And right about there, the enemy says, oh, excuse me, I'm going to go to another table now and talk to somebody who doesn't know the power of the cross is their story. Mm. Louie, I want to ask you this final thing is you've lived this, you've walked this, those nine words have changed your life. And we now have this book and you're preaching these messages practically for you. When you feel that that capital letter E enemy is pulling up a chair, what does it look like for you to say you're not welcome here? Well, it actually sounds like me saying 
I'm not going to let you have a seat at my table. <laughs> and, you know, we all come from different streams of the faith and different streams of the church, and some people are talked back to the enemy people, and some people are not. I don't think we need to be fixated on the enemy. And this book is Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table, but it's not about being, you know, fixated on the capital E enemy. It's about being totally captivated oh, by the capital S shepherd who's sitting at the table with you. But when I hear that, and I know that Paul said that we have the authority to tear down strongholds. Isn't that a great word for people today? Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter how long this thing's been around. The weapons we fight with are spiritually able to tear down and dismantle strongholds and ways of thinking so that, Paul said, we can take every thought captive and make it obedient to Jesus. And so for me, when a thought comes in, I want to examine it like, and I want to ask it, where did you come from? Sometimes I'll ask it out loud. Where did you come from? And you'll know right away if it measures the heart, the character, the will, the ways, and the Word of God. And if it doesn't, you know, it didn't come from God. So it's going to have to move. And what God says is going to have to take center stage. And so I'll say, where'd you come from? Oh, you didn't come from God. I want to bind this thought in the authority that I have in Jesus' name. Is either I'm going to bind the thought or the thought's going to bind me. Something's getting bound today. And I want to take God at his word and say, I have the authority over my table. In Jesus' name, I bind that thought. And I say that out loud. In Jesus' name, I bind that thought of fear. I don't have to be afraid of that. In Jesus' name, I bind that thought of jealousy. I don't have to be jealous of that person. In Jesus' name, I bind the thought of control. I don't have to manage this situation and be the one who determines what all the outcomes are. I can trust God to do that. And that's what it looks like for me to step into that zone. Well, you just listed all my three major things. So thank you, Louie, for that. But you know, I think what I'm hearing you say is the captivation with Jesus, like all of our captivation, everything we have on that, the shepherd, Jesus, is really what is going to keep that attack from taking over our brain. Yeah, there's a part of the book where I kind of shift gears and I talk about the mountain and the invitation to know God. And I think for a lot of us, the reason why we're not winning the battle of our mind is because we don't know the greatness of our God. And you can't fake that. You either are in awe of God or you're not. You either know the immensity of his power and love and grace and goodness, or you don't. And people who have a teacup size understanding of God, because they just sat through church gatherings and heard people preach sermons and heard podcasts and quips and little quotes from guys like me, and that's kind of where they got their sound bites for faith, Mm -hmm. but they never went in the closet and shut the door and got on their knees and said, God, I want you to show me who you are. I'm going to open this word, and I just want to know who you are. And they have had what Paul calls the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that they could know God more. I want to invite you, if you're listening right now, God is not wanting you to survive on a thimble-sized view of Him. He's giving you the capacity, the invitation to come up the mountain of the Almighty as high as you want to go, to know as much about Him as you want to know, and to be aware of who He is. And I think that awareness is A, what our souls are craving. So forget about the enemy at the table. That's what our souls are longing for. But it's a lot easier to push a lie aside when you're standing at Mount Everest. It would be like the enemy coming and saying, do you want to get on the seesaw today? And you're on the top of Mount Everest going, "Uh, no, thank you. Not interested. I'm good. Yeah. (laughs) Look at what I have in view right now. So it's a double-edged sword. It's learning the lies identifying the lies and knowing the truth to respond. 
But the other side of this process is coming up the mountain of Almighty God and savoring the one who's sitting at the table with us. The psalmist said, those who look to him are radiant. Isn't that awesome? Mm -hmm. So the person at the table with their eyes on Jesus, their face is radiant. And if I'm over here looking at the chemo, and the chemo is real. It isn't our story right now. But if I'm only looking at the chemo, my face is not radiant. Mm. If I'm only looking at the strife that I'm having with a friend, my face is not radiant. But if I'm looking at the shepherd, even though I have chemo and I have some strife I'm working through, my face is still radiant even in the midst of it. He says, those who look to the Lord are radiant and their faces are never covered with shame. So I just say, open your eyes. There's a big shepherd who's awesome and amazing, who loves you a lot. And he's sitting right there at the table with you. I love that invitation that we see in scripture and that you've laid out in this book. Don't give the enemy a seat at your table. It's time to win the battle of your mind. Louis, thank you so much. I'd love to hear from you. What are you loving these days and what are you reading? What I'm reading, I think I knew you were going to ask me that because I know a little bit about your podcast. So I had somebody bring it to me. So I'll just show people. This is a pretty interesting read, but it's called The Shard, The Vision of Irvine Cellar. And I went to this building, Jamie. You can see it on the cover. For a minute, it was the tallest building in Western Europe, but it's in London. It opened in 2012, and it's a stunning, stunning, stunning building. And it was built against all odds. They'll never get permission from the Historical Society in London to build something like this. They'll never get an architect who can bring this vision to life, and they'll never get it funded. And Irvine Seller wouldn't take no for an answer. And those are the kind of books that just absolutely light me up. So I just finished it. I'll give you a free line in it. He says, because they were talking about how the Shard was going to ruin all the views of London. And he said, yeah, they said the same thing about the Eiffel Tower when they built it in Paris. They said it's going to ruin all the views. And he said, and it did ruin the view until it became the view. And I I was like, oh my goodness, (laughs) that's so great. So let's try great things today, even if maybe they look crazy on the front end, because on the back end, maybe God's given us the ability to create something that the world really needs to see. I love that. Louis, thank you so much for your time today. I love chatting with you and Aaron and I are cheering you guys on. We love you and Aaron. Shelly and I are your biggest fans and just keep going strong. We would love to be you guys when we grow up. So <laughs> that's the way that You're works. Kind. You're kind. You guys, what a great show. I was just sitting here going, yes, yes, yes. And in fact, this will be one that I will go back and listen to, even though I was here for the whole interview. I love how Louie is saying, hey, guys, when we focus on Jesus, when we focus on the good shepherd, it's a lot easier to not allow those enemies to take us down and that big enemy to have a space in our brain. Guys, if you want to read this book, go get it wherever books are sold. Don't give the enemy a seat at your table by Louis Guglio. I loved it so much. Also, I want to remind you that we are making bonus content over for you guys on YouTube. And the bonus content today is me asking Louis, how does he support his wife, Shelly, who is a phenomenal leader in so many ways that you might not even know about? And how does he champion her? And I loved his answer. You can find that at youtube.com slash Jamie Ivy. And Shelly, I said in the show, but I can't believe it. She was on in 2016, episode number 85. I think it's time we get Shelly Giglio back on the happy hour. Guys, also don't forget the book Aaron and I released in March is available wherever you get books. It's called Compliment, Choosing Together Over Separate in Marriage. And I am so excited when I get to talk to someone like Louis Giglio, who I have seen him and his wife Shelly really compliment each other 
together over the years. In fact, he even talks about that in the bonus content on YouTube, that he wants his and Shelly's life to complement each other. And that's Aaron and I's goal as well, is why we wrote that book, Compliment. You can get it wherever books are sold. It'd be a great summer reading for you and your spouse. It's also really good if you're engaged. And listen, friends, it's also really good if you're single. We just really want to show you what it looks like to be in a marriage that desires to complement each other. Today's show was mixed and edited by the team at Podshaper. Show notes are written by Abby Castell. The whole thing's produced by Lindsay Sweeney. The music for the show is written and developed by Matt Graham. And I'm your host, Jamie Ivey. Guys, again, like I said, if you love the show, share it with a friend. And if you want to dive in deeper to the things that Louie and I talked about today, check out his book, Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table. And if you want to learn about marriage some more, check out our book, Compliment, wherever you get books. Friends, enjoy your weekend. We've almost made it through May. Have a happy hour with a friend. And I'll see you next week for a show where I sit down with Mark Clark and talk about his new book, The Problem of Jesus.